Welcome back to Detroit Strange. Hi. Hello. We're doing this podcast. Yes. We out here. I don't podcasting. know why I forgot my line. They're never like assigned lines. They're no. just kind of like sometimes we say them, sometimes we don't. Yeah. It's I think it's because I'm always like, how can I mix it up? Yeah. I don't know why that is important to me, but I mean, it's not. <laughs> It's just something you think of. I get it. Yeah. I'm like, do I want to do something different? You know, do I want want to improvise right now? I think for me is like in that split second before I'm about to say something, do I have anything better than what I usually say? Nope. Okay. Going for it. Okay. That's probably a better way than just staring blankly like I did. I mean, you're just giving yourself that minute to see if you can think of something. That's true. That's true. This is fun. We are recording midday. Yes. On a Friday. Yes. Love a good midday recording. Yeah. I feel like it's easier to have energy. 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 Yeah. No, it's um, it's definitely like a different vibe. Yeah. But it's kind of fun. Yeah. I'm very into it. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch some movies. Yes. Later, which is, well, a movie for something we'll reveal in the future. Yeah. Because I'm not sure when we can, but. Yeah. But it's a real thing. <laughs> it is a real thing. We're very excited about it. It's got all the ooky spookies. It's perfect for spooky season. Yeah. So just stay tuned. It'll be out during spooky season. It will. Yeah. I just don't know the specific date. Me neither. <laughs> but more details to come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of movies in general, though, lately. And new movies, which is new for me. Because I feel like lately I've just been like rewatching like... Bond movies. I watched a lot of Bond movies, but then also just like, I feel like I've just been stuck in a rut of rewatching movies. And yeah. So I watched like three new ones this week. That's exciting. Yeah. Any recommendations based off of them? I would recommend all three, honestly. The first one I watched was Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Okay. Which I don't know if you've heard of seen that one. I feel like I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. I think it came out in like either 2018 or 2019. Okay. It's Kate Blanchett is the main character, Bernadette. Mm-hmm. And... Kristen Wiig plays her like bitchy up high strung neighbor. Oh, fun. Who's like the PTA president and yeah. like Bernadette's so having nothing to do with her. She's like kind of like this paranoid, kind of shut in mm-hmm. woman, but like brilliant. Like she was like this brilliant architect who just kind of like lost her way and now is just like living with her husband and daughter in this like somewhat run down, like 9,000 square foot building that mm-hmm. they had bought. Cause they're like, her husband's like a tech guy in Seattle, so they just have entirely too much money. Mm-hmm. So it's basically her, like Bernadette trying to like refine herself, mm-hmm. which is fun. Yeah, no, yeah. it was like I think one of the the standout like parts or lines in that movie was one of her like architect's friends from like twenty years ago before she stopped was like. Bernadette, you're an artist, and when you don't create, you become a menace to society. Okay. Which I kind of, like, resonated with, because I feel like I haven't been creating much lately, and I just feel like there's been this, like, weird pent-up energy of just, like, I'm not doing something. I realize it was creating, so I'm excited mm-hmm. to kind of get more yeah, creative no. stuff and creating content again. I mean, that may, I, I feel very stuck as well. Yeah. I feel like I have the intention of doing things, and then I hit a wall when... So I start doing them. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, again, it's been, it's been a year and change. Yeah. A lot of change. And collective trauma. I, yep. we, there was a lot of talk of it in the beginning, but it's still, it's still present. It's, it's still here. absolutely is. It's still strange. Yeah. And yeah, but there is more happening. Yeah. And that's helping. Yeah. And those two other movies real quick. Oh, One yeah. was um, High Anxiety. Have you heard of it? I have. It's a Mel Brooks movie from the late 70s. Okay, yes, yes. It's like a parody of like 10 Alfred Hitchcock films. Yeah, I've seen it, but it's been a very long time. I watched that for the first time on Sunday or Monday night, I believe. And I don't know why the night was important, but um, just so funny. Such just mm-hmm. like dumb slapsticky kind of humor of just like farcical almost which i usually 
I like don't know how I feel about it sometimes, but this was just like hitting all the nails on the head mm. for me. Do you like other Mel Brooks? I, you know, couldn't tell you any other Mel Brooks. <gasps> History think- of the World Part One. Nope. Oh my gosh, that movie is amazing. Uh Robin Hood Men in Tights. I have seen that one. Okay. I do like that one. I absolutely I love Mel Brooks movies. I'm like starting to realize that his humor resonates with me. So I need yeah. to check more of them out. Like and I highly this, recommend. Not even five minutes into high anxiety, which like mm-hmm. parody of Vertigo for the title. Like that's kind of Yeah. But they're like driving to the mental institution, which is called the Psychoneurotic Institute of the Very, Very Nervous. Uh-huh. Second very is underlined. Like, I need to rewatch it. I know I, this yeah. is all like, you're bringing it back in my brain. And right. I'm like, oh yeah. But they're just driving there and the driver says something mm-hmm. about foul play. And all of a sudden there's like this dramatic orchestra music and uh-huh. it just pans to the car next to him. It's just a bus of a symphony orchestra just playing. And that's mm-hmm. like their exposition for the music. I just died. I'm like, this is exactly what I need to be watching right now. Yeah. No, you need to definitely, if that movie resonated with you, you need to watch more Mel Brooks. Yeah. I will watch it with you. Because and just I Madeline Kahn. I love mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn. She's in, she's definitely in History of the World. I'm trying to think. Yeah, she's in History of the World, part okay. one. Which is the fun part about that is there's no part two. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. And just like the first minute she's on screen, just like very much playing the ingenue. She's like comes in, she's mm-hmm. got the hat and she's like, <sighs> Just like very like over the top breathing for she no is reason. Fantastic! I also absolutely adore Madeline Kahn. Yes. I anytime I see a movie I, with her, I'm just over the moon. Right. <laughs> she always just brings that something extra. Cloris mm. Leachman too, for that matter, because she's such oh, a yeah. great character actress. Yeah, I forgot that she. Okay, yeah. She plays Nurse Diesel. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good. What's the um, third and third, final yeah. movie? Uh, Muriel's Wedding. Have you heard of it? I love Muriel's Wedding. I love that movie so much. I saw it for the first, like, again. I've seen first, it a million times. I watched it for the first time and just like, again. Just Muriel, beauty- Muriel. Oh, you're terrible, Muriel. <laughs> just the accents, the just the beautiful story of it all. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, three really good movies to watch back to back to back. And it's so, it's interesting to see, I mean, Tony Collette got a lot of recognition, I think, from that wedding or yeah. from that wedding, from that movie. Yeah. <laughs> from that movie. But it is interesting to see somebody like earlier on in their career that I really love Tony Collette. Is she as Australian? Well. She has to be, right? Because how else would she have gotten the lead? I got to look it up now. I don't think she is. But I actually don't know. Australian. I think no, she is. She is? Okay. So I was like, I was like, it was such an Australian movie. I would have been shocked because American didn't... accent is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because like, the really the only thing I can pinpoint that I've seen her in is Knives Out, and she very much has an American accent. In that. Most of her movies. Yeah. In her shoes, I don't know why that one is one of the first ones that come to mind. Um, that really scary one where she's the mom. That uh, I can never watch Sixth again. Sense? Heredity. Heredity. I haven't seen Heredity. It's. A good movie, but it's a lot and it's terrifying. She just kills it. I don't know. She just played that character so well. Mm-hmm. If somebody hasn't seen that movie, they highly should see that movie. It yeah. is very well done. It's it tugs at uh the heartstrings. Yeah. It also talks to just about like coming into your own self-worth. Yeah. Very much so. And just like It's just also like a really well-balanced movie. Like it's Mm -hmm. drama without being like too sad and or it's like comedy without being too like. Yeah. It's very real life. Yeah. It's very much a slice of life. kind of. Like you can see these people. Existing. Existing. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, these people in your life. Yeah. It's porpoise spit, but they say porpoise spit. Yeah. Porpoise spit. Okay. Yeah. The city. Yeah. They're like Northern Australian. Okay. I didn't, I couldn't remember exactly yeah. where I knew it was not like big city, Australia. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. But fantastic choice. How did yeah. you come upon Muriel's wedding? I'm just curious. So both high anxiety and Muriel's wedding. I was talking to two of my friends and just kind of like asking them, like, what are your go-to movies? What are your comfort movies? Like what? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and so like, I kind of just like knowing that the, like, I watched those movies knowing that like, Oh, this was like Greg's pick or, oh, this was Evan's mm. pick of just like, these are 
move like these are movies that these persons recommended to me and just kind of having that in mind was also just kind of extra special of just like i wonder what this person saw in this movie that thought one what resonates yeah. with them so much and what led them to lead it like recommend it to me i would love to get more maybe we'll do a poll because i i now want to know other people's movie you know yeah. that's such a good question to ask people yeah i adore that right because it's I, better than like your favorite movie because that's hard to pick so i just kind of like mm-hmm. what are movies you go to when like you need to cry or when you need a laugh mm-hmm. or like ones that you watch at certain times of the year yeah that's wonderful yeah oh now i need to go watch movies because now i'm in a movie yes i will say muriel's wedding is on hbo max good yeah i did have to buy high anxiety but it was only like 10 bucks okay yeah that's a nice thing about older movies is at least if you're buying it it's not yeah over the top like i have to do like the mental math of like okay it's four dollars to buy ten dollars to own yeah what are the odds i'll watch this movie more than twice yeah four dollars to rent yeah. What I oh, did I just say four dollars to buy, ten dollars yeah. to buy. Yeah, four dollars <laughs> to rent, ten dollars to buy. That's so I okay, have to watch though. it at least more than twice. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely like I call it like I'm like this was definitely a buyer. Yeah, I had to buy this one because yeah. like I like you'll go back to it. I've already been tempted to watch it again, and I watched it two days ago. <laughs> uh, I haven't been watching movies. I've been watching. Well, I haven't really been like watching. Watching. I've had it on the background a lot, but. I did stumble across, there's a, I think it's by like 2020, but it's a slow release series on Hulu, like a weekly release. Yeah, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's about this like crazy murder at um, the Rocky Mountains National Park. Okay. That happened where like this guy basically said that his wife fell off a cliff. Okay. I think she fell, was it a cliff? I don't know, but they basically they were out in the wilderness and there was an accident of some sort and she died. Uh, I have to go through and watch it a little more thoroughly because I was working on things. Yeah. And this is definitely like a thing to watch, but it's very interesting. There's a lot of weird stuff. It's only like three episodes in coming up from his past uh, about his character and maybe some things he wasn't super truthful about. And it is fascinating and I actually do want to watch it again <laughs> because I'm like, ooh, I need to do a close watch now yeah. that. And it's it's well done. I love a good docuseries that's like well done. Oh, for sure. Uh, also combining true crime with a national park. Yep. <laughs> it's up my alley at this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Other than that, too, I did get a free trial to the Discovery Plus app for a week. So Lisa and I were watching Ghost Adventures again. Solid, solid. <laughs> we didn't make it all the way through, although I may have accidentally paid for it. A month now. I don't know. Of what? Of Discovery Plus? Yeah. Uh, We'll see. I think I can cancel. I think today's the day to cancel, but I have to check. But anyway. But those have been very interesting because one of them, they inspected Holly Madison's house. Okay. As in the previous um, Hugh Hefner's girlfriend. Okay. Holly Madison, one of the bunnies. Yeah. And so that was an interesting episode. And then they also did the comedy club or the comedy club, the comedy store. Okay. In LA. And that place has a crazy history. I don't know if you know much about it. There's like a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of people who say they've experienced things there. Um, And there was a very sweet moment with a comedian who passed a little bit ago, Brody Stevens, where Uh, one of the comics was talking about him and the lights did something interesting. Oh, yeah. And there were some fun episodes. Yeah. Ghost adventures and they they've gotten me more into the the spooky mood again yes too. so that's been most of my viewing this week yes mm-hmm. i for some reason just like can't get into tv shows lately i mean that's i again it's mostly because i have them on while i'm doing something else and i yeah. don't have to pay as much attention oh, wait actually yes yes actually yes. i did also watched um love on the spectrum season two are you familiar with this show it's an australian show actually i think i've heard of it but give me a give me a rundown Uh, it's a show that it's a like a documentary well docu styles show documenting people on the spectrum dating i love that and it's the most like heartfelt thing just because everybody is so genuine yeah and saying exactly like what they think and feel and it's so sweet. Yeah. It's just the sweetest thing. I was like crying during parts of it. 
I highly suggest it, but with a box of tissues nearby yeah. because it just, it's ruined dating for me personally because it's just so organic and everybody's communicating. Yeah. Uh, it's just so sweet. Just like direct communication like that. Mm-hmm. So I recommend if you're in a mood. Yeah, right if you mood. need if you need a good cry of something that's just too damn beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Since it's midday, though, we are not sipping on much. We just both have normal beverages. Yeah, I do have cider, hard ciders upstairs. Oh, do we want one? I was that's kind of was thinking is, but then my worry was like. It's like, what, 1 p.m. right now? If we start day drinking, that's a long day. I'm, I'm not, not opposed, opposed to, to it. it. <laughs> I kind of want to do it now. Let's fucking do it, then. Okay, let's do it. Okay. I do like- you know what flavor you want? There's regular apple, apple pie, caramel apple, and the apple pumpkin. Pumpkin. Oh, my gosh, it's so cute. Right? I'm excited to try these, though, because it's like the cider mill pack, variety pack. I think... You just look bewildered by that sip. Because it's not sweet, and I love that. Okay. I was like, it's either going to be really sweet or it's going to be, like, spicier or something. It's not spicy either. It's very dry, but, like, I'm here for it. I mean, it's a little sweet. It's a hard cider, but it's not, like... Sickeningly sweet. mm Mm-hmm. Because I did try the caramel one, and it tasted like the suckers. It does. I just took a sip of mine. But it was very sweet. It is. Like you said, I don't hate that it's sweet, but like it is sweet. Mm-hmm. This is like my perfect sweetness level right here. I was really curious about that one, so I'm glad it's good. Mm-hmm. It's not a strong flavor. It's very light flavor wise. In general. And sometimes it's good. You don't need to be hit over the head with a yeah. flavor. Yeah. Perfect fall treat, though. Yeah. What else is a perfect... That was a terrible transition. You know what else is a perfect fall treat? Yes. What is it? Some stories. Yes. Uh, I actually have two stories today. There's a very minor relationship between them. But basically, I found two things that were... They don't have a ton online. Uh So I dove as deep as I could find. But they fit into the spookiness that I'm trying to bring. Okay. So... Story number one. Have you ever heard of a St. Agnes? I've heard the name. I couldn't tell anything about her. Well, it was once a thriving Catholic church with a all-girls school attached to it. Okay. It is now abandoned. Okay. In the, like, LaSalle Gardens kind of area of Detroit. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're going to set the scene, though. It is 1910. It's a LaSalle Park neighborhood. There's a couple houses in this time area sitting along 12th Street, which is actually now Rosa Parks, uh-huh. and a lot of countryside. So pretty kind of sparse over there. Yeah. Bishop John Foley was the leader of the Detroit Catholic Archdiocese, and he was watching the city grow. And he knew that this area was kind of going to be up and coming because it was close to the city. You know, in 1910 standards, it still would have taken a bit to get into the city. But yeah. Yeah. He bought a parcel of land at the corner of 12th and LaSalle Street with the plans for a future church. By February of 1914, Foley or Foley, Foley and Reverend Chaser Chass E. Hennigan, mm-hmm. they looked at the snow-covered lot and they saw a few new houses had popped up in the area as well. And the neighborhood was actually starting to really develop as like a neighborhood. And they decided it was time. So Reverend Hennigan was put in charge to lead a congregation for a new church there. Yeah. In April of that same year, the mass of St. Agnes Catholic church would start to meet in a, just a small frame house in the area, about two blocks away from the property. Mm-hmm. The congregation grew very quickly and moved into a temporary space by that December of that same year that could seat 200 people. So again, massive growth pretty quickly. Yeah. Construction plans were made for a bigger cathedral. And construction was started on a Gothic-inspired structure that could be their forever home. Uh-huh. And a school was to be attached in a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. 
So a convent was also constructed in 1917. And the main building started construction in the year 1922, since it was a bigger yeah. kind of thing, and they were already meeting somewhere. Yeah. And it was by the firm Van Leyen, Schilling, Keogh, and Reynolds. Okay. The cornerstone was placed in a ceremony on September 10th by Bishop Michael James Gallagher. And at this point, that space could support 1,500 seats, so uh-huh. far greater than the 200 they had. And it was dedicated on June 1st of 1924 with a custom-built pipe organ being added a year later. They fucking love a pipe organ. Yeah, they really do. And this one was like a fan- a big fancy one. They always are. Mm-hmm. So eventually the church grew to over 1,600 families with three priests, 22 nuns, and 180 students by 1964, which was their 50th anniversary. So doing pretty good. A lot of yeah. things happening there all the time. So one interesting fact is, do you remember Father Charles E. Coughlin? Does that name sound familiar? He came up in one story once. Yes and no. The name sounds familiar. I couldn't tell you which story. He was the one who had that really awful radio program in the episode about Jerry Buckley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he had that like, I didn't, I didn't write any of it down or look it up or anything again, but it was just. Yeah. I I know there was anti-Semitism and, you know, things Mm. of that nature. Yeah. Boasted on his show. But. Before that, before he got this radio show, he was actually a weekend assistant at St. Agnes. Uh And he gave a sermon per week there in 1921. And he didn't, the radio broadcast would start five years later. Uh When he was speaking, though, at St. Agnes, they were still waiting for, or he was still waiting for his incarnation. Uh So he was like a little fledgling to it all, uh, to the Archdiocese of Detroit. And at this time, he was commuting from Windsor, where he was actually a teacher. Huh. Yeah, I was just like, oh, no, I remember him. He was a jerk. Yeah. So, again, they're doing well. Yeah. Everything's going great. However, this wouldn't really last, unfortunately. A few years later, there was actually a police raid on an after-hours drinking place in the area. And tensions began to grow, and there was a lot of civil unrest in that neighborhood. Yeah. So, most of the area buildings, unfortunately, were burned to the ground. Not much after that. But the church actually went unharmed, even through the 1967 riots. Mm -hmm. But the community never really recovered, unfortunately, or didn't for a very long time. It's a great community now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The church would continue, though, with its worship every day at 1215 and in the evenings and, of course, Sunday mornings. They also ran a place next door called the Nazareth House, which was retreats for the, quote, contemplative experience in prayer and evangelization in the heart of the city. And that was on weekends, days, and evenings. It was open to groups or individuals. Mm -hmm. They also held Bible classes. They had a young men's fraternity, a young woman's sodality, which I've never heard. Yeah, no, neither. Basically, it's like a fraternity or association, especially a Roman Catholic religious guild or brotherhood. Okay. So they had a women's, I don't know why I didn't just say women's fraternity, but. Sorority even? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, but it's specifically Catholic. I guess like that's the big difference. They love to just, you know, make sure they have as many vocab words as they they do. They do. There's a lot of words I. I used to have like a Catholic glossary, I feel like, of just Catholic words because there's a lot. There is. And I I mean, I wasn't raised Catholic, but like some of it you can tell, like incarnation. Yeah. Or incarnation. Like I didn't look that up because I was like, oh, he became a cardinal, I'm assuming. Right, right. But I've never heard that word. Right. So in addition, there was also youth club, girls club, Girl Scouts, uh, boys basketball, counseling, Montessori daycare, and a Head Start program. So a lot of like community-based activities still running, which is great. Yeah. And also they sponsored the Rosa Parks Community Arts Center. Okay, cool. So in 1971, Father Edward Farrell of the church, and he had been there for a second by then. I don't have his start year, but I know he was there for like multiple, multiple decades. Yeah. And he found himself sitting next to Mother Teresa on a plane. Uh-huh. On an impulse, he asked her if she would be interested in opening a convent in Detroit, to which her response was, quote, nothing is impossible. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Not much came of this, though, until a few years later, out of the blue, a phone call came. Mother Teresa wanted to come to St. Agnes and set up a new branch of her missionaries of charity order. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I like 
forget that Mother Teresa. When you said Mother Teresa on a plane, I like forgot that she and planes existed at the same time. I if know. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it seems like she was far before that, but no, she was right contemporary to the you know uh i don't know her specific dates but yeah it, yeah. it seems like it should have been early 1900s or like 1800s right <laughs> like she sat next to him on a boat mm-hmm. in the pilgrim times yeah kind of a covered wagon right maybe. so father farrell renovated a rundown house for use for three nuns three of her nuns who would come and stay in the city from that point on and I don't have a specific date. I believe it was 1979. Might have been 81, but 79 came up a few more times. Yeah. Uh, the church would host Mother Teresa, who stated, quote, My sisters are my gift to Detroit. Aw. And there was 1,500 people in attendance to hear her speak. Afterwards, though, she insisted that the donuts, cakes, and coffee that had been brought in would be given to those in need instead. Power move. Mm-hmm. I love. You know what? I love it because nobody likes to make that small talk over that shit. After a sermon to mass or whatever, it's like, yeah. give it to people who actually want to enjoy it. Maybe yeah. that's just me. I'm very no. negative about. Yeah. So, but people did start to move away from the area. And by 1986, only 162 families. So remember, previous had been like 1,600. Yeah. Uh, we're still attending. So much less. Yeah. And it wasn't enough to cover the operation cost at such a large space. Yeah. So they merged with another nearby church called St. Teresa Vila in 1989, and they would meet in the St. Agnes building. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is weird, actually. The archdiocese also decided to rename the parish Martyrs of Uganda. What? And it was to honor African missionaries who had been executed in, I wrote 1887, but I think 1987. For refusing to renounce their faith as a means to incorporate a reflection of the makeup of the parish. Yeah, okay. Um... <laughs> I know. I was like, that's weird. Um, I feel like the fact that renamed something bothers. That's the, I think that bothers me the most is instead of like creating a new space dedicated to this, they're like, yeah, hey, just slap their name on this old building. Maybe people think about them. Yeah. And I get renaming the parish because now it's like two of or the congregation. It's two of them coming together. So yeah. I understand the aspect of it, but like, I don't know. I don't know how the naming process goes, but like it just, it doesn't, that didn't sit well with me when I was reading it and I was really trying to process it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel like I am the right person to process. It was a thoughtless, thoughtful gesture. Yeah, exactly. And I would be interested to know how those within the congregation felt about it. Yeah. If they're for it, then cool. And, yeah. But if they weren't, then. Yeah. That's a very strange decision. Yeah. In January of 1987, Pope John Paul II had an upcoming visit to the city, but he'd only be here for about 24 hours. So very whirlwind. Yeah. The city's Catholics were all in a frenzy and trying to decide, you know, or what sites he'd be going to. And like, ooh, will it be here? Will it be here? So St. Agnes was actually in the running. Again, it was a large space. Yeah. Father Farrell had just visited with the Pope, too, a few months before that in Rome. Mm -hmm. So this guy got around. Yeah. And by this time, he had been running the congregation for 30 years. But at this time, there was usually only about 200 people in attendance at Mass. It makes me think of Sister Act. I, I don't know why, but like anytime I think about like a smaller or like a really large space with a very small congregation meeting. Yeah. I just think of the first time that Dolores Van Cartier walks in to the, the ceremony. Yeah. And the choir goes up for the first time and there's like 12 people there. It's been so long since I've seen this track. I, I just know that watched I love that, that movie. <laughs> yeah, or like within the last month. So, Farrell didn't have high hopes for Saint Agnes being chosen, but he thought it'd be a good place for the Pope to see, because the neighborhood wasn't great, and yeah. to actually see, you know, what was going on within the city and things like that, and like yeah. awareness. Yeah, and. I don't think St. Agnes was visited, but there was like a lot of thoughts put into it. Yeah. So they continued to focus on community outreach as a means to attract new members, but attendance continued to fall. Yeah. As it did in many religious places, I believe, because again, like just religion has changed as a whole. Yeah. By 2000, the school closed down. So no more girls school. Mm -hmm. It became like a storage event space. And a lot of churches were closing Mm -hmm. through the city. And in 2006, it was decided due to dwindling numbers for such a large space that it would be best to close by June of that year with only about 90 members at the time. 
Mm -hmm. So it just was sitting. Yeah. In 2008, the marble altars and stained glass windows were removed to be reused in other spaces before they could be destroyed. And it was put up for sale by the Detroit Archdiocese, but the congregation buying it never actually used the space or something fell through. There's a lot of like, it didn't really do anything information. Yeah. And it kind of fell into ruins a bit. Yeah. So scavengers came in, stole all the metal piping, all the metal anything. I guess there was a bunch of like Puabic tiles too that were like yeah. kind of yanked off the walls. Uh, graffiti artists coming in, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. And then, of course, there's also weather. Yeah. So the building has become very weathered and it continued to break down. In 2012, though, the space got a new owner. His name is Scott Griffin. He's a theater producer and real estate investor from New York City. And he got it for $90,000, which for that much space. Yeah. Yeah. Even in that state, like for that much space. And it is a relatively like location wise. You can see it from. I've definitely driven by it. I know exactly what it is. And he's secured the building a little bit more against trespassing. Good. I believe there's a fence. Fence is a good start. And he also started conversations with the neighborhood about ideas for this space. I know what I believe. And this is like throwing here the grapevine from somebody like years ago. I believe somebody told me that they were thinking about turning it into like uh, artist spaces, for example. Mm. Uh, but I don't nothing really happened. Yeah. It's still just sitting there. So she's been sitting there a second. Yeah. What do you think it's like to go inside of it? Ooky spooky. It's definitely a little ooky spooky. Now there wasn't, it comes up on a lot of like haunted in Detroit lists, but then there's no follow through on a story about it. It's just like, it's haunted. Yeah. But I did find one video that talked about people's experiences when they've gone in there. So there's been a wide range of occurrences. Occurrences. There's definitely a lot of extreme cold spots, even in the heat of summer Yeah. throughout the building. People hear disembodied footsteps. Ooh. Sometimes even large groups of footsteps. Ooh. There's smells of incense, flowers, candles, and old perfume that will waft through the air. That's spooky too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Smells. And mind you, this building probably doesn't smell great on its own. Oh, no. It probably smells like decay and mildew. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if you were to smell that, that would be very, it would stand out. Yeah, of course. Uh, Some have seen a full-bodied apparition of a nun wandering around, but she seems to be very emerged in her tasks and very scary Mary. Yeah. So it's, uh, what's that kind of haunting where it's like the, the memory of the past haunting. Oh, there's like intelligent haunting where like, there's like responses and there's interaction. And then there's the kind where it's almost just like seeing a glimpse of the past. Yeah. Like she took this route every day Mm -hmm. with her beads. And so there's an apparition of her with her beads walking around the thing. And I used to know that word. I think it starts with an R, but I can't remember. <laughs> residual? Yes. Residual hunting. Thank you. Yes. We got there. We got there. Yes. So it sounds like a residual hunting, at least from this nun. Yeah. Uh, and and I think anytime you smell stuff, I think that's like a residual thing. It's, that as makes well, sense too. Yeah. Of. Yeah. Uh, at night, if you are there alone, specifically alone for some reason, uh, and sometimes in groups, but usually alone, you can hear a fight breaking out somewhere on the grounds. But when you go and look out the window, Nothing's happening. Oh, interesting. That's I, that's ooky spooky, and I wonder why. I mean, a lot happened in Detroit throughout the history of this building. Yeah. Because, again, like, you know, there was, like, the riots and things like that, too. So, I mean, who, know, who knows what you're hearing, but yeah, there could be something. Um, banging sounds can be heard throughout the building. Disembodied voices, which are sometimes in prayer. Okay. Organ music. Whispers from the back of the building specifically. Ghostly priests have been cited. This one's interesting. Prisoners in old-fashioned clothing. Or no, I'm sorry. I That's a typo. Prisoners in old-fashioned clothing. <laughs> Slightly different, but I get it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is interesting. I don't remember writing it. Yeah, because you, you didn't mean to. That's why you don't remember it. And also, there has been rumor of a dark shadow figure in the corner. I don't know which corner. It just said the corner. Interesting. So that is the ooky spookies of St. Agnes Cathedral. And how ooky spooky it was. 
Mm-hmm. I'm still hung up on that fight one because that's just so interesting of like, that's a very specific sound, you know? Oh yeah. 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 And just like, I wonder what is left over there or what's going on there that that's. Well, a lot of times I think it's too, especially with residual people, a lot of people say with residual huntings, it's specifically because there's so much like emotion yeah. caught into something that that's why it kind of replays itself and replays itself. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it's negative emotions, unfortunately, that get They're kind of con those cycles. Yeah. yeah. At least, you know, if you buy into and believe in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this, this stuff, which I do. I mean, I, I do believe for sure. Obviously, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But I also do approach it kind, kind of with like skepticism to to a certain degree. So. Which I think is important. I think like, you know, with things like that, where. It's hard to gather concrete proof. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to always kind of have that skeptical eye just to make sure that this is the real deal, not someone trying to pull something off as the real deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's I mean, it's so easy, even with like video evidence and stuff like that now. Oh, yeah, especially nowadays. So easy to edit stuff. And yeah, but it's still fun stories. So I'm I'm still always here for the story. Yes. And I do believe it's possible for sure. Yes. So that was St. Agnes. We're going to move on to a second story. Again, there is a slight, other than just like Uthi Spooky, there is a slight thing together. So have you ever heard of the Sixth Precinct? No. Uh, Located at five. Well, there's actually two addresses, 5658 Braden Street or 6848 McGraw Avenue. Okay. This was an old police precinct yeah and the space was born essentially when a building permit was filed on april 21st of 1920 at a projected cost of building it at eighty three thousand one hundred dollars. okay the original limestone structure construction was underway by june 19th of 1930 by the detroit-based firm of van Leyen, schilling and keogh Oh, they are the church ones. They are the church ones. It's the only reason I put them in here. Usually I only put an architecture firm in if it's pertinent to the story or yeah. if it's one that we've, you know, discussed. Well, or... that's like an interesting connection between the places. Yeah. So. And it was weird because I, I researched both wanting to do them separately. Uh, but again, there wasn't like a ton on either. So that's, that's the connecting factor. Yeah. So I was like, oh, what about I will this put firm this makes them haunted buildings? Yeah. Who? Right. What did they do? Who was putting goat's blood in the walls? Yeah. Who snuck that in there? So, and it was to replace the previous Vinewood home for the sixth precinct. So construction was done actually by Masons of the 26,376 square foot space. It's a big space. Yeah. By 1931, the building would be completed and opened. The structure itself was created with terrazzo, terrazzo. Brick reinforced concrete and old world architecture. Love it. It had three stories and it featured 10 jail cells, a firing range in the basement with an evidence room also in the basement, a men's and women's bullpen, a drunk tank and a regulation regulation size basketball court on the top floor. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of just gymnasium. I get that. They just, you know. Yeah. The precinct itself covered what was Northern Springwells Township, which was over over time was kind of annexed into both Detroit and Dearborn. It's it's like the southwest kind of area. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would remain in operation as the headquarters for the sixth precinct for fifty six years from nineteen thirty to nineteen eighty six. Okay. So again, it's saw a lot of history happening. Yeah. And here's just some snippets from history. So this isn't as much of a story. Is it just like we're going to do a little snippets of history from this this yeah. structure? Uh, the person who owns it now did look up on some microfiche, uh-huh. a lot of stories. And again, being a police headquarters, obviously there's a lot of stuff that happened and went through yeah. there because that's the whole purpose. Yeah. So these are just some things specifically that I could find. On November 12th of 1931, uh, unfortunately, a suicidal woman named Bertha Potansky pinned a note to the pocket of her eldest son, and he, she left her three children at the precinct. So William, the oldest son, led his sister Irene and brother Edward to the front desk, and the note read, I've made a desperate struggle to keep body and soul together, but I can't go on and still do right by my children who must be fed. 
So officers brought the children into the headquarters, fed them. And this is kind of a bummer, but then they were taken to a juvenile detention home. Yeah. Yeah. August 25th, 1932, there was something called, there was basically an eviction riot, which is a crowd of a thousand people led to the arrest of 24. Basically a man named John Mitchell and his family were about to be evicted from their house and people didn't like that. The crowd eventually grew to over 5,000. One officer's arm was broken. Uh, Another one was hit by a brick. Uh, As they, the crowd was dispersed by 300 officers on motorcycles and horses eventually. Uh-huh. And as that happened, people were being brought in again. 24 people were actually arrested during these riots. Yeah. The Detroit news reported that most of them brought to the station suffered quote concussion of the brain due to blow from police nightsticks. Damn. Yeah. So again, like a lot of large energy, um, negative, large energy. Yeah. 1943 and 1967, there were riots throughout the city. And while this place wasn't at the epicenter of either of those, there was evidence that during the 67 riots, it became a space for the National Guard to kind of hang out. There's a photo of a couple National Guardsmen on the floor looking out through the front doors in very defensive positions in the the lobby of the then barricaded building. Yeah. So, you know, things were definitely happening around there. February 24th, 1979. Snipers fired shots from the roof of either a nearby junior high or high school, probably the junior high. Uh And police cornered off over one square mile around the station to help with the manhunt. I don't think they found them. Yeah. But I don't want to say that for sure. Damn. (laughs) While the building, though, was open or when the building was first open, the area mostly catered to Polish American families. Yeah. By 1981, though, the area had drastically changed, as many areas had. Yeah. And there was a lot of sex work being done locally, and the precinct, precinct responded by establishing a special enforcement detail and a morality unit mm-hmm. to help inspect local bars and liquor vendors. In 1982, volunteers and community members then came together to host a summertime activity program for the young people of the community, and they called it Sixth Precinct Fun Day, which attracted actually hundreds of kids. So, yeah. When the building was decommissioned as a precinct in 1985, the 6th and 8th were combined sharing a newer building. And it just kind of was there. But that is until 1986. From 1986 to 2005, it was the headquarters of what was called the Detroit Gang Squad. Okay. Obviously had to look this up. Yeah. It's 100% exactly what you think it is. Mm-hmm. There, there is a 47-minute documentary. I didn't have time to watch all yeah. of it, but I did look look through it. But it was a well-known special unit in pursuit of gangs and gang activity. Yeah. So, but that was disbanded in 2005. Uh-huh. I don't believe there's a squad for that anymore, yeah. per se. So for the next eight years, the space would sit just vacant. In 2012, the city had plans to tear it down at the cost of $1.5 million to do so. But a man named Ed Steele had other ideas. So Mm -hmm. he basically approached them and said, like, hey, rather than spending all that money, let me buy it. He had recently gotten into, like, small property buying and stuff. um, Yeah. Like, cheap properties in the city just kind of because he liked the city. Yeah. And he ended up making them a deal that he would turn the space into something that benefited the community and also a cloud storage data center. Uh Uh-huh. And it would provide jobs to the community during construction specifically. Yeah. It would also provide space for nonprofits to meet up, uh, host a small museum space, and provide free Wi-Fi to the surrounding area. Love that. Yeah. So he said he would do all that. He also paid them cash. I'm not sure how much, but I'm pretty sure it was a deal. And they said, okay. Yeah. Did it ever happen? Yes. Oh, nice. So the new space would be called Data Behind Bars. Love it. And after 18 months in October of 2013, it did take 18 months. Yeah. It was his. So this would be the first time he'd ever set foot in the building even. Wow. Yeah. Next up is basically he did start learning about more of the history. A lot lot of what I displayed today is like from his research. Yeah. And again, going through all that microfiche. Yeah. That beautiful microfiche. But he also started clearing out the space. Yeah. Uh, initially, over 42 dumpsters worth of trash was cleared out from the beginning. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of videos of him 
you know, talking about this process and stuff too, and coming in and just like, you know, it's, it's like we saw at Eloise, like papers kind of strewn everywhere and just like yeah. junk and some of it's interesting and some of it's just junk and some oh, of yeah. it you're like, okay, obviously, um, a lot of tags throughout the building, a lot of graffiti. Yeah. Uh, you know, it did sit vacant for eight years. Right. So, yeah. Bullets, like old bullet shells. No, uh-huh. the bullets themselves. No weapons or anything like that was found. Um, again, anybody going through the building could have taken whatever they wanted for eight years. So yeah, not a, a ton of interesting stuff. Uh, when you first walk in the space, though, there is the original front desk still located there, and it still features a makeshift wooden gun holder under the desk for emergencies. Love it. And as well as a panic button labeled the Delta Four button. Interesting. Yeah. So Ed hired several people from the community to help with the cleaning and fixing up of the space. Specifically, at one occasion, he hired two women and three men. And one day they were working in the space. I think they were in the basement. Ed was in another part of the building, I think on another floor, when suddenly he heard a woman scream. So he ran to see what's up. Yeah. When he got there, the men were basically frozen. And one of the women was yelling, he touched me. He touched my hair. And the other woman was trying to show him something on her cell phone that she had taken a picture of. So eventually, though, all five of them were GTFO'd out of there. And they would never return. Yeah, fair enough. Ed did try to get in contact with them, if nothing else, just to pay them. Because he was employing them and paying them. Right. He, He couldn't get in touch with them. Weird. Yeah. So meanwhile, he started to think of ways to raise funds because this is an expensive thing, you know, to renovate a building. Yeah. Uh, I believe at this point now he's put in $300,000 to the building, but it needs a lot, you know. And so he would do stuff like buy stuff and do garage sales. He went to Army Surplus and would try to like sell some of that stuff off. Yeah. He also uncovered more information about the space. One thing, I don't know the specific year of when it happened, and I'm not sure if they were all in succession even, but there is, like I said, an evidence room located in the basement, and there is proof that four officers actually committed suicide within that space. Uh-huh. So, again, just something to kind of keep in mind. Yeah. Oh, and actually, I forgot to mention this earlier. So in 1943, over 500 people surrounded the precinct and broke in to release the prisoners. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So this building has seen some stuff. It's seen a lot of stuff, yeah. So after learning the history, Ed decided to gather up materials and relics, like it said, also stuff from the Pontiac Silver Dome, which is interesting. Yeah. To use in the space to display. So he started putting up displays. Yeah. You know, whatever. Also, murals were added, and they're really cool murals. He got oh, a nice. bunch of really good mural artists to come in. There's these giant panels on the outside of the building. Uh, I believe there's murals throughout the building, too, just based on what I saw in the backgrounds of videos. And they're just... Really cool looking spaces. So making it very interesting. And around this time, he was actually approached at the idea of doing tours. Okay. So both a historical and a paranormal tour were added to the docket. They were doing these last year. Uh Uh-huh. So the paranormal tour sounds um, like it's very similar to the historical or to the Eloise experience that we had. Yeah. But I think it's a little smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, But the same thing. There's. Actual, you know, um, ghost hunting teams with their equipment and things like that. Yeah. It. They also did a large lockdown on July 31st of this summer. That was like a whole community event, like people dressed as Ghostbusters and came in uh, and they had like just a bunch of really cool stuff. It looked yeah. like going on. And this is all like I saw on Instagram and like their Facebook and it just it looked fun and cool. Yeah. So I uh, also, they have listed on Airbnb which I pulled up. It is listed right now. I'm not sure if it's available and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But it is uh, $571 a night. Okay. And that does include, I believe it says 10 beds, but you have to bring your own either mattress or air bed (laughs) unless you want to, because it's the jail cells. Yeah. uh, Sleep on the thing. But it basically, it says, have you always wanted to spend the night in a real jail cell, but you don't want the felony charges that would usually accompany it? Is the idea of being locked in a jailhouse from 1930, it's also rumored to be haunted. Something you think might be insanely fun. Yeah. Which I just, I love. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it just goes on to talk to about like, it was built in the 30s, used during the Depression, Prohibition, the Purple Gang era, all the way through, it says Robocop and Murder Capital. Uh 
experience what jail felt like in 1930, 40, 50, 60. Love that. I mean, I'm halfway sold. Yeah. Interesting thing, though, is it does include a TV. Okay. (laughs) At some point in it. And then obviously for them to rent it out, it has like normal amenities like hot water and heat and things like that. Things that are appreciated. Things that you kind of need. Just no mattresses. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the biggest bummer of everything. And I, I, this, I'm, I was very truly. Yeah. Sad to hear this. Ed Steele passed away on August 25th of this year. Oh, I'm not sure of the cause or anything like that. And I didn't, I, I, I don't want to dig, you know, too much in that. Cause that's right. Not necessarily my business. He was 54 years old. And since the tours and the space have kind of been put on hold a little bit, I'm sure it's a lot of overwhelming, you know, things going on in whoever will be dealing with that, you know, should definitely be taking their time before they decide anything for that space. Oh, for sure. It is a bummer though, because it it seemed like it was getting some really cool traction. And then with these tours, they were raising money. They were, you know, he was making... There's like videos of him like showing off like the new hat and like t-shirts and you know yeah so things were ramping up yeah to be able to to and he he just seemed like a cool guy and yeah, yeah. I bet. However, before a month ago, there have been many investigations, obviously, of the space as well as the tours. So a lot of law enforcement officers who have entered the space have said to feel equally drained and sometimes attacked. Okay. Uh, Michigan Ghost Seekers posted a video using a REM pod, which is, it basically has lights on it. Yeah. And if any electrical, whatever, it lights the things up. Like if a human's near it, there's enough like static electricity that it lights up too. Yeah. But you usually put it away and then you're like, oh, can you light the green one, the red one? And there was, can you light the red one, green one, response, intelligent responses. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was a very short video, but yeah. it was really cool. Three species that see the most activity are the cells in the base or the cells the evidence room in the basement also makes sense and then the gymnasium on the top floor a little bit weirder but yeah 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 during one video i was watching too they're they're using a spirit box so you know the yeah and they get a lot of responses via that some of the most interesting you can hear they say ed a few times uh-huh so they know ed one of the investigators felt something grab his left leg Oh, another one plays what he calls the clap game, which is basically I clap, you clap. Yeah. And they don't get a clap back, but they get some bangs. Okay. Back right after it. Some sort of audio response. Yeah. So like, and there's some like light anomalies. Those are the ones I always have a hardest time with. Unless that's something real weird. Yeah. They also hear some growls when they, and then when they ask, did you just growl at us? They get a yes response. Ooh. And then hear disembodied voices of young girls and see a shadowy figure. Yikes. Mm Mm-hmm. It was also featured on Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places and on a show called Haunted Case Files Season 2, Episode 13, uh-huh. which is what I bought on Amazon last night. Yeah. <laughs> and the investigation was in 2017, and it was by the Detroit Paranormal Expedition. Okay. And it talks a little bit up top. It's I've never seen this show before. It's not they don't really show a lot of direct footage. It's a lot of reenactments and then yeah. like interview. But they were talking about Ed had told them basically like during or Ed had told somebody basically during construction. One one of the things that he had noticed happening is inanimate objects would go missing, but then reappear. Uh-huh. And there were sounds of whistles and echoes and things like that, too. So the four members of Detroit Paranormal Expedition investigated one night. Two of them were psychic mediums. Uh-huh. When they walked in, one of the mediums was like, oh, yeah, there's male presences here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all felt uneasy and they set up their equipment when they were on the first floor, they were interrupted by a whistling sound. So they started asking questions while they continued walking through the building. And this is where they picked up literally the clearest EVP I've ever heard. Oh, wow. Like it sounds like a person talking into the microphone and I forget which question they asked something like, is anybody back here? Yeah. And they said, <laughs> Did you hear it? Yeah. We're back. I thought that was just someone on the recording talking for me. No, that was an EVP. That's crazy. Yeah. So then I I was, yeah, I continue watching the story. 
and they go into a new space and two of them, one of the psychic mediums and one of the, um, the fellows with them felt like a rush come at them so much so that they like both jerked back at the same time. And like yeah. the girl, like grabbed the guy's like arm or whatever, because she was just like, Oh my God, like startled. Yeah. So it was almost like somebody was rushing at them, which is just kind of interesting. Yeah. And then the craziest part, then they started to hear something. There were little pebbles being thrown at them. Oh my God. Yeah. So like, and it kept going and it got to a point where they'd be like, Oh, can you throw one at like Brandy over here? And apparently like it would go towards Brandy and like just specifically like on point. And then it was kind of picking up. One of the mediums ended up leaving because she was like, nah, I'm done. Yeah. Goodbye. And just, they kept coming at them for a while. Interesting. Yeah. So when they asked who was throwing rocks, they captured another EBP. This one's a little quieter, but goes. Ooh. So they continued. Uh, Brandy, the medium, picked up more male spirits and they snapped a photo, which there is actually two weird light things in. So yeah. possible light anomalies. Uh, they then use a geo box, which I've never heard of, but it's like a spirit box. Yeah. And they asked, do you like us being here? To which they received the answer, be gone. Pretty clear. So they left. Yeah. Yeah. They were actually pretty smart. And they said, once the spirit's like, no, we don't want you here, they usually leave their their. That's places. a good rule. I think so. That's a very good rule. Mm-hmm. If you're not wanted somewhere, they make it clear you leave. Yeah. But the other thing I discovered last night, I'm going to assume this was Ed's doing, but at one point he put up three static cameras uh-huh. that are always running and yeah. they're live streamed to a website. Uh-huh. I found the website. I had it on in the background last night, forgot about it, but it had volume up. Only one of the cams is still running right now. The other two are yeah. down. I heard freaking, like I heard a thud noise. So then I looked at it and there's a little ball of light. Oh no. And it kept going. And it was weird because it wasn't translucent, but there was nothing moving in the space. Yeah. That could show like, refl- I took videos. Yes. <laughs> um, There was nothing like, I mean, and if, there is something I would like to know what was happening because it was just weird. And then the ball would disappear for a while. Like 20 minutes would be gone. Not yeah. that I was like watching it the whole time. I was like checking in and out, but then it'd be back and it would move very erratically. It wasn't like, it'd be like up left, left a little more. Oh, down here. Not like it was. And it wasn't, there was no similar speed. Like nothing was consistent about it. I will say it was only in one zone zone which is the only reason i'm like it could be something in the space because yeah. it was kind of restricted but every time i thought it was restricted then it would move out a little bit further but it never like went all the way across the space yeah that's crazy so it could be something in the space yeah the bangs were weird though i will say oh for sure but that pretty much sums up the sixth precinct According to the Detroit Paranormal Expeditions, one of, if not the most haunted space they've ever been in. A lot of activity there. There has been like, and there's been a ton of expedition teams. I love that. Cause I like literally like never like heard about either of these two places and a lot of them being haunted. So like, I love that you found some new ookie spookies for us in the city. Yeah. And they're quality ookie spookies. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very intrigued. I saved the precinct for second of the two. I mean, both of them I'm intrigued by. Um, spooky season miracle yes it is well sometimes sometimes it is just hard to research the spookies because i always i love a firsthand story yeah that is one of my favorite things but sometimes you're just gonna like see what's out there yeah and see what's up totally and talk about a church and a police headquarters yes same architect same architect that's the name of this episode same architect yes you want to list your sources real quick before we go game? Oh, thank you. No problem. I have them sitting right here, too. Um, so DetroitUrbex.com, Nailhead.com, DetroitParanormalExpeditions.com, uh, which they do also have some EV. They don't have those EV. They have other EVPs on there. Uh-huh. EdSteel.com, the Six Precinct Detroit Facebook and Instagram accounts. Uh-huh. And also YouTube videos. One from M Live, search for the supernatural at abandoned Detroit Police Station from October 21st, 2020. 
Oh, Detroit Six Precinct Blood Moon Investigations featuring Phenomena Paranormal from November 7th, 2020. 13th Floor Haunted Media Productions, Detroit Precinct Parts 1 and 2 uh-huh. from August of this year. Oh, and also Haunted Places in Detroit by The Speakeasy on YouTube as well. And yeah. then also Haunted Case Files Season 2, Episode 13. Ooh, even episode 13. Spooky, spooky. Oh, that's true. I didn't even even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me to cite my sources. No problem. And because you did, you now have a game. Yay. A game that I thought up the answers to during this recording because I forgot about two truths and lie until we were (laughs) literally recording. It's Mercury and retrograde, baby. That's why. So I did one about me because that's. The, the easiest thing to come up with last minute. It sure is. But specifically Halloween costumes, just because I see Ooh. pieces of my Halloween costumes sitting up there, like specifically the white shorts and the yellow polo for the yes. one we're doing together. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. I, I hope to. I have everything in my Amazon cart. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But so just I had some two truths and lie about Halloween costumes I have done. Okay. Before. Fact number one. Mm-hmm. The one that I have done the most is Dracula or some kind of vampire. Okay. Um, I've done exactly one pun costume. Pun? Like punny? Yeah. Okay. One punny costume. And I have never used a store-bought costume in my adult life. I'm going to go with the pun. That's actually true. Damn it. I've I- done exactly one pun costume. I was hoping it was zero. It was not hoping, but like, no, no, no. I know exactly. Yeah. Like, cause I'm kind of the same way about a pun costume of just like, oh, it no, has I to like be good. Costumes. It has yeah. to be good though. Yeah. So the one that I did was I was in college. I wore like a neon safety vest, a hard hat, a splunking light. And I was carrying like a fifth of vodka around with me and mm-hmm. like smudged some like black makeup on my face. So it looked like I was dirty. Mm-hmm. I was a minor in possession. Got it. Yep. Yep. So that was my one pun costume. And it was funny because I was of age at the time. Okay. <laughs> so it was just like, you know. <sighs> Do you need the ones? No, it's the vampire or it's the um store-bought. Store-bought. I, it could be either. I'm going to go with the vampire one being the lie. That's actually true as well. I thought so. I knew it was the store-bought one and I said it. Pretty much all of elementary school. I was a vampire, except for one year I was Frankenstein. I feel like you've told me that too. And I think that's why I was like. Uh, that's why I thought it was a good one. Yeah. I'm like, I've generally avoided store-bought costumes, but actually when I was Frankenfurter a couple of years ago, I bought the store-bought costume and then added to it. Oh, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Get a base going. Exactly. Yeah. Cause like, you know, corsets are expensive. So get the costume version. That's true. Yeah. Wouldn't have been bad to have a corset. <laughs> well, you do, don't you? No. Oh, it's not a corset. It's no. just a like. It's just panel. like a yeah. Okay. Fabric panel with like lace through it or like uh, you know. Yeah, string. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Oh, well, that's fun. Though. Yeah. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> I have. I had a running punny. Co- I had a go-to pun costume. What was it? Uh, Freudian slip. I love that. Yeah. I still own it because it's the easiest. It's so small. It's just, you know, bundles up tiny. Yeah. And you don't really, you can put whatever you want with it. And it's, it was always my, like, I'd have another costume, but if I was going to like a second thing or like wanted to be more comfortable or wanted to be able to like layer really well. Last minute party. Yeah. Yeah, Or last minute party. It was my go-to. So I still have it in my costume. That's perfect. That's what you need. Yeah. I think that's my only punk. I do. I do enjoy a good punk costume, though, but I think that's my only one. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps us like a caramel apple sucker. So deeply wrapped like a car- like a bag of caramel apple suckers. Yes. Double wrapped. <laughs> but if you want to follow us on our social media, it's at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook and our email address, Detroit Strange at gmail.com. We would absolutely, absolutely adore if you give us a five-star review over on the Apple Podcast app. That would be amazing. And just fill our hearts with joy. Yes. And we've also got a Patreon if you want to support it in other ways or the Threadless shop, you know. And we're here. We're here. Also, if you got a spooky story, we haven't put a call out for that. But like, 
If you've got one, I would love to hear it. If you've been in either of the spaces mentioned today, I would absolutely love to hear it. Right. That would be amazing. Any spooky, it's spooky season. Maybe we'll, we'll read them on air if you send us some spooky stories. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Would, that's my dream, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that is my dream right there. So you got any spooky stories? Again, that email address, DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. But. Till next time. Stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Stacks and Violence.